Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I really sensed that there was um, this message that, that I was to bring forward, and it, it's just kind of developed as time's gone on, and, and what was a one-time message became a two-time, now a three-time message. And, you know, we've got to go with what God's doing and saying, right? And, you know, it's good to, to certainly tie into what we're doing in this season, but I really feel this is like a timeless word, that if we kind of hear what the Spirit of God's saying to us here in this church, in our lives, I think that there is a change that he wants to bring. And I, I don't believe that any message he brings to us is just by chance. And one of my heart cries is that when we hear the word of God, it wouldn't be just, oh, those were good words. And, you know, we've all heard many messages, but that it would be transformative, that it would impact our spirit, that something in us would shift and we would change our perspective permanently, hopefully. It'd be, it'd be wonderful to see that happen. So two weeks ago, I preached a message called Passive No More. And we looked at four symptoms or causes of passivity in our spiritual walk. Why do we become passive? Why do we retreat when it comes to serving God? And that was the question we're, we're looking at. So there's four things we looked at there. And we, we used King David in a low point in his life where King David was, he committed adultery, bottom line. And so it's a, it's a low point in his life. And we looked at why that happened and some of the reasons for that. So I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that if you missed it. Then last week... Uh, we examined also Saul versus David. We looked at King Saul and King David and how they were different and how they, they functioned differently regarding God and their perspective on the Lord. And uh, that's where we talked about, began to talk about fear. And I'd encourage you to look at that one as well if you, if you missed that message. And then today I want to look at Saul versus David again, in a sense, like comparing the two. But really, it, it, the message is fearful no more. And really what I want to talk about is having the fear of God versus having the fear of man. And, um, you know, I'm going to unpack what that means. But I think we could all on an initial level understand what that means. Fear of man, of course, is when we're concerned primarily what other people think, even above what God thinks. And I think that that's dangerous. In fact, I know it is. It's dangerous in my life. It's dangerous in your life. If we put the opinions of others and what, we, what they think of us and how they view us above what God thinks of us, we're at risk. So today I want to look at that. How do we deal with that? What, what's, what's fear of man versus fearing God? And we're going to look at the life of Saul and, and David again. You know, speaking of the fear of God, and, and we're going to unpack that further but really, fear of God is having a holy reverence for who he is, for having a deep respect. And, and we're gonna, we'll look at that. And, and that proper fear, it sounds negative, but it's actually positive and life-giving. Having a proper fear of God actually guides us in life and causes us to live well. You know, recently I was in probably one of the toughest meetings of my life in ministry. And... Uh, was dealing with a high-level leader who uh, had fallen morally and uh, had a, a long-term adultery relationship. It was really tough. And as I sat opposite this leader, and as we confronted this leader and challenged this leader, I had this awesome sense of the fear of God. It, it, was, it was kind of... 
how do I explain it? I, we were sitting opposite this person having to talk to them about some very difficult things. And as we were doing that, I could sense God's presence. And I looked over and there was a, there was a leather chair in the corner of the room that no one was sitting in. We were sitting opposite this person. There was this leather chair, you know, big, big arms and, and leather. And it was imposing chair. And as I looked at this, I had this sense in my heart that we weren't the only ones in the room dealing with this situation. I had the sense in my heart that God was there. And that chair represented to me kind of this sense that he is the ultimate judge of our lives. He is the ultimate one that we stand before. And it, I, I can't describe what it did to me when I saw that. It, it, it put the fear of God in me. And I thought to myself, God, I don't want to be that person ever. <laughs> the person I was sitting across from who had fallen, who had you know, walked away from following God's ways and was and, and had given in to temptation and in a prolonged way. I thought, God, I don't want to be that person. And I felt like God said to me, then you need to listen and allow my fear to, to lead your life. You need to walk in the fear of the Lord. You need, to, you need to remind yourself of consequences, but also of the goodness of God. And, and we're going to look at that today. And I'm hoping by the end of this that you'll be stirred in your own life and that you'll have a greater understanding of what this means. So let's first look at Saul and the fear of man and, and how he showed this in his life. So Saul, we talked about earlier, Saul was really an insecure leader. And even when he was named as the new king, they couldn't find him. And it wasn't because he was super humble. It was actually, he was insecure. He was actually really not confident in who he was and who God was, really. And it showed up in his life. So they remember I talked about the Philistines last week. For you that weren't here, I talked about how the Philistines in the Bible represent the devil. Okay, whenever the people of God, the Israelites, fought the Philistines, it's like when you and I fight the enemy in our lives. Same picture, okay? So the Philistines are always fighting against Israel. And one time, uh, Israel was needing to go out and fight the Philistines. And, and they, were, they were attacking, and it was a really high-pressure situation. And so what had happened is Samuel, if you remember in, in the Old Testament, Samuel was, was a prophet and a judge. And he's the one who anointed David to be king. And he, he's the one who anointed Saul to be king. And he, he was the judge and prophet in Israel at the time. And so he had told King Saul, listen, you wait for me at a place called Gilgal. I'll come, and I'll, you know do sacrifices before the army leaves, and God will bless you. And in those days, that's what they did. They did animal sacrifices. Hard for us to fathom in our day and age, but that's what they did at that time. And so Samuel was the only one who could do that. It wasn't lawful for Saul to do it. Samuel had to come. So seven days went by, and Saul waited, and the people waited for Samuel to come. And he didn't come. And, it, and actually, the time went by when he said he was going to be there. So what was happening is the people got antsy, right? Can you appreciate that? You're kind of waiting. Okay, we're going to go to war. Uh, you know, Saul, wins. Samuel coming? He's coming soon. He said he's coming in seven days. Okay, all right. And then it gets later and later, and finally they start leaving. They start peeling out. And so Saul's watching this, and he's thinking, oh, my goodness, my army's leaving. And, and they started leaving, and he panicked. He thought, I'm going to have nobody left to fight with. Now, this just shows his heart. See, God had told him, obey. You know, Samuel said, obey me. 
uh, obey God and wait, and I'll come and do this sacrifice, and I'll bless the army. Um, you need God's help, right? But Saul's thinking, yeah, but I need my people's help. I need man's help. I need, I need these people to stay with me, and they're starting to peel out. And so he freaks out, he panics, and he says, bring, bring the animals to me, and he does the sacrifice himself, which he's not, he's not requ- he can't do it. He's not supposed to do that, but he does it. Because he wants God's blessing and he wants to somehow make things happen. And so as soon as he finishes doing it, <laughs> Murphy's Law, Samuel shows up, right? Like, and he has to go out and talk to Samuel and says, you know, I went ahead and did this. And, and Samuel says, why would you do that? You're, you're not supposed to do that. You can't offer those sacrifices. You, well, no, I needed God's blessing. And, and I saw that the people were leaving and my army was leaving and I had to do something. And Samuel says, you've been really foolish. And God would have blessed you and given this kingdom to you forever if you had obeyed him. But now he sought out someone else after his own heart. And that was the first time when it was clear God had chosen somebody else. Why did Saul give in? Because he was afraid of man. He saw the people leaving, right? And, and rather than depend on God and say, okay, no, I, I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to wait for Samuel to come, instead he compromised, gave in to his fear, and he did what he shouldn't have done. Have we ever done that in our lives? You ever done that? You don't have to put your hand up. I've done it, right? You gave in, you panicked, you said, I got to make something happen. I got to do, do something. And God said, no, I want you to do it this way. I want you to be obedient. I want you to follow me. And sometimes we crater to that pressure, even the pressure of other people. So that's what happened. And, and then... He also was somebody who disobeyed God later. I mean, he didn't have a good track record. Uh, he was told to deal with a nation called the Amalekites. They were all good. You read the Old Testament. Like, these people's names are amazing. Like, how would you like to be an Amalekite? Like, that's just a beautiful title. Anyway, the Amalekites were a nation that were really bad to Israel. And so, you know, and again, some of this is hard for us to comprehend in our modern era but, but just understand something. God is just and he had reasons. And so God said to Israel, uh, Saul, I want you to wipe out completely the Amalekites. Get rid of them. Because they, they dishonor me. They dishonored you. And um, it's my judgment and you need to do it. Get rid of everything. Don't keep any animals even. Like it was pretty thorough. Well, Saul goes out, doesn't obey God, listens to his own people again, his soldiers. They keep the best animals back. They don't even deal with the king properly. Samuel comes and says, what, what's going on here? What, what are you doing? He said, and he justifies. He says, no, no, no. It, it's okay. It's okay. I, 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 I've done what God wanted me to do. I was obedient. And, and Samuel says, no, you weren't. You disobeyed. And because of it, you've lost the kingdom. And I'm, there's a man after God's own heart that I've selected. Why did Saul do that? Because, he, again, he was afraid of the people. I think his men wanted him to keep the best of the flocks. I think he was under pressure. And rather than obey God, he cratered. He gave in to the people around him. So he had a fear of man problem. Now, let's go to David. David was not someone who feared man. And there's a, there's a really cool story. It's, it's a bit awkward. 1 Samuel 24, and here's the story. David was being chased by Saul for years. Years he was being chased by King Saul. And often through the, the kind of the foothills and the desert of, of Israel, he was being chased. And so he would hide out in caves with his men. And, uh, 
He was, he was constantly under pressure. Well, one day, his, he and his men were far back in this cave, like way back in the back. And nature called King Saul. You know, even kings have to go to the washroom every now and again. So nature called, and uh, he looked for a convenient, discreet place, uh, you know, to relieve himself, and he found the cave. So he comes into the cave, King Saul, and the men... David and his men are all in the back of the cave, and they realize it's King Saul. So David's men are going, hey, David, it's Saul. He's the guy trying to kill you. This is your opportunity. God's given you an opportunity to kill him. Kill him quickly. He'll be done. It'll be over with. And I'm sure he was highly tempted, right? So David weighs this out. What David does is, it's hard to fathom this in a way, and I don't want you to get your mind out there too much, but... David sneaks up close enough to Saul to cut the hem of his robe off. That's pretty close when a guy's relieving himself. But anyway, I don't want to get into it too much. But that's what he does. He goes in, he cuts it off, and he comes back to his men. Now, you got to understand something. When In those days, the hem of that robe represented the authority of the person who wore it. So King Saul had like a robe, but there was a hem on it. If you cut into the hem, you were technically challenging his authority. Do you understand that? There's a bit of a symbolism there. So David, in a sense, was challenging his authority by cutting into the hem. And so he has a piece of it. He's got a corner of the robe, like very little, comes back to his men. And his men are like, why don't you kill him? Like, what are you doing? And David stands there with a corner of the robe and, he, and he's, it says his conscience is pricked, like he's convicted. And the reason he's convicted is because he realizes he's touched the Lord's anointed. See, David had a fear of God. So David is thinking, I know I'm going to be king. This guy is a jerk to me. He's terrible to me. He's chasing me. He wants to kill me. Everything in me wants to take it into my own hands and deal with him. But I want to fear God. I want to honor God. And he senses in his heart God is not happy because he had challenged the authority of the king and he shouldn't have done it. And he actually tells his men, he said, he said, forbid that I should touch the Lord's anointed. And he rebuked his men, and he did not allow them to attack Saul. In fact, later he goes out and he shows Saul that I could have killed you, but I didn't. The point is this. Why did David stop? Why did he not take matters into his own hands? One reason only. One reason. Because he feared God. He had a healthy sense of pleasing or displeasing God. There was something in David. That's why God loved him. That's why God sought him out because his heart was in tune. And so David's heart was grieved when he was doing something he knew God was not pleased with. See, that's the, the healthy fear of God. And I think if you and I have that in our lives, that will guide us. And I think sometimes there are situations that can cause us to walk away from that. In fact, in my mind, fearing man, fearing what people think of us, fearing you know, the opinions of others actually goes directly against the fear of God. Do you realize that whatever you fear becomes your God? Whatever you listen to, whatever you choose to submit to in, in your thinking becomes your God, really, right? And so fear of man actually pulls us away from honoring and fearing God. And so I want to look today at why, at what we can do about this. So I want to look first of all at the fear of man. Is that okay? Are we okay here, folks? Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm hoping this will be helpful. I really feel it's important. So let's look at the fear of man first. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man brings a snare, 
but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Fear of man brings a snare. I think I actually have a picture here. The next slide. Yeah. So the picture is, is of this. And, and it really does mean a snare that will trap a bird, that will trap an animal. So when you and I fear people more than God, fear the opinions of others, and I'll, we'll look at what that means, it's a snare to us. It grabs us. And we can't run properly. We can't actually do what God wants us to do. And it hinders us from functioning. Psalm 56 says this, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now this is an interesting picture. Because the essence of it is really this. Really, folks, what can man really do to us? I like the scripture elsewhere. I think it's in Matthew chapter 12. It says, we should fear the one, uh, basically, who can put us who, you know, who can put us in hell in a sense, right? Versus fearing somebody in this life who can only impact us now. We'll read that in a minute. And that's what this is saying. What can man do to me? What can really happen in my life other than what God has? Fear of man puts us in an emotional fog. Puts us in a place where, where we're uncertain of what to do. We get confused. And we don't hear God as clearly and so then we're snared, we're stopped, and we don't move into what God has. I don't know about you, but I've seen people give in to the fear of man regarding their direction and destiny and focus in life. They've let the opinions of others, they've let how others viewed them stop them from doing what God was calling them to do. I've watched this happen. And you know, in the end, they're disappointed, they're sad, they're frustrated because they knew what they were supposed to do. But they didn't listen. They didn't heed because that person's opinion, that other individual is too important. Matthew 10, here it is right here. I shouldn't have tried to just quote it. It's right in front of me. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that's pretty heavy. I get that. But the picture is, if we can keep eternity in mind, if we can keep in mind the big picture, and I don't know about you, but that's, if there's one thing the enemy tries to do in my life is to get me on the small picture. You ever find this? Tries to get me just with today, even this next moment. He tries to get me focused on what's happening now and away from the big picture. And, and if, and if I'm, he's going to cause me to compromise and do something I shouldn't do, he'll minimize the big picture. And he'll make the small picture really big. He'll say, you know, this is so good. This will be so good for you right now. If you just participate in this, you just step forward in this, it's so good right now. But he causes me to forget the big picture. Now, later on, if I've done something I shouldn't have done, the big picture is pretty apparent to me. You ever been in that place? <laughs> All of a sudden, you're like, the fog lifts in a sense, and you're like, oh my goodness, the big picture. I didn't really please God there. I didn't really honor the Lord there. And he's not happy. And that weighs in. So the big key for us is to do that on the front end, to, to remember that. I want to give you a quick test, okay? Are you ready? Some of you just broke out in a sweat test. You're thinking back to, you know, Mrs. Walton's grade five class. Don't worry. Listen, it's an easy test. It's, it's, I want to give you a test to see if you suffer from the fear of man. Are you ready? Okay, so just in your mind, think about this. Do I suffer from the fear of man? Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? In other words, um, and, and by the way, just to be clear on this, 
this is a, a test I got uh, by a blogger, David Cloud, and uh, it's excellent. I just want to make sure. You might think I came up with all these excellent questions. I did not. So if you ever struggle with peer pressure where somebody else is pressuring you to do something, number two, are you overcommitted? Do you have a hard time saying no? Somebody says, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And you're like, I want to say no, but then they'd be unhappy with me. And so you go, yes. And after you go, do, I should have said yes. I don't want to say yes, and yet I have to say yes. Okay, that's fear of man. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? You ever? Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll do this as a leader. I'll, I'll think about decisions that I'm trying to make. And, and I find that this is, I'll just give you an inside picture. When I'm not healthy in my decision-making, I realize I'm considering the decision through somebody else. So I'm thinking, should we do this? And then right away, I'm thinking about somebody else. What would they think? And they, well, I don't think they'd like that. Oh. Then I realize at that moment, wait a minute. Are you really, is this really God? Are you following the Lord? Are you, no, actually, this person here, <laughs> you're giving them more weight. Now, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. You should be, we should be open to counsel and other people, and we should be receiving that. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying we make decisions without other people's input, but if my primary reason for making a decision or not making a decision is because somebody else thinks this and it's not about God, I'm offside. You, you hear what I'm saying? Do you feel empty or meaningless and you're needing someone else to fill you up all the time? Okay. In other words, my meaning, my fulfillment comes from other people. It might even be from a spouse, right? I need them to fill me up. I need them to be filling my life. You know, it's interesting. Val and I, we've been married 32 years now. Yay, 32 years. It's amazing. Yes, it is. It's worthy of clapping. Yes. Hasn't always been easy, especially for Val. But, uh, but one thing we realized in that time is that we are not the source for each other. And I was so glad when Val realized that because <laughs> because I am very flawed. And if she was looking at me to be the source in her life, we're a very, very serious problems, right? But, but it's true. I mean, we've literally talked about that. We, you know, my spouse, my wife, her husband, we are not each other's fulfillment. We are not the source. And when we start making that person, like they're going to fill the void, nope. No, that means that I'm not filling the void with God. It means there's something... And in, in a sense, we can make that a fear of man issue, right? We, we, we look to our spouse more than we look to God. Again, it's an idol thing, right? Do you get easily embarrassed? Are you easily embarrassed about your situation yourself? If you are, then other people's opinions may define you, right? I mean, it's good to be embarrassed. I mean, healthy embarrassment's good. Otherwise, we'd all be doing weird things all the time, right? So there's a good level of embarrassment, I think. But there's that hyper-embarrassment where you can't make a mistake, where you can't, you know, I'll be honest, I've had this in my life, okay? And I had to deal with it, where I don't, I don't want to ever show weakness or look foolish or whatever. And I've had to realize, listen, you got to laugh at yourself. Um, other, you know, when other people are laughing at you, the best thing is if you start laughing at yourself too, okay? Don't take yourself too seriously. But that could be fear of man because now I'm saying you, how you view me, if you view me well, then I'm good. If you view me poorly, then I'm bad. Do you understand? So, so I have to win your approval. And if I'm embarrassed, 
That's terrible. Do you ever lie? Especially little white lies. Lying usually is a way to make ourselves look better to other people, right? It's true. So do we ever lie? Do we ever exaggerate because we want to look better? It's getting quiet in here, right? People are like, this is kind of a heavy word. Are you ever jealous of other people? Because that means their possessions or their lifestyle control you. Do, do, do you ever think about that? If I'm jealous of somebody else and I'm like, you know, upset about their lifestyle or what they have and what I don't have, I, they actually have control over me. I'm actually fearing them in a sense, right? Rather than looking to God going, God, you're my source. Lord, you're, you know, I trust you in my life. I'm, I'm going to stop comparing. I'm looking at other people. Do other people often make you angry or depressed? <laughs> well, sure. Uh, no, I, I, we all have people that make us angry or depressed at times. I think the point is, are you controlled by what other people do in your life? I, I've had to stop myself at times and think about this. I have to say, you know, I'm angry about the situation or I'm discouraged and it's because this person did this or said this or, and then I realize, wait a minute, they're controlling me, right? Like I'm now being pulled around by what they did say or didn't say or did or didn't do, right? And in that sense, I'm fearing them. I'm, I'm giving them power in my life. I, I, those are moments where I have to stop and go, no, I, I, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they're saying. Um, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to allow myself to take that in. I'm not going to allow myself to be discouraged. I'm going to look to the Lord. But that's, that's a sign. Do you, do you ever get angry or depressed by what other people are doing? Do you avoid people? <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. I really do. Because here's the thing. Fear of man, like it, it could be that I, I, I avoid somebody. And I'm avoiding connecting or dealing with a situation or whatever. But again, there's a, there's a fear of man in there. So I, I'm confident. Let me just say this. I'm confident that based on that test, we all fear man in some ways. Would I be safe to say that? I mean, maybe you went through the whole test and you went, no, never. Absolutely not. And that's, that's okay. But maybe you have the last problem, which is you actually are somebody who's highly successful and you actually look down on other people because you're so together. So it really covers all of us, right? <laughs> We're really in this together. We all fear man in some way. So how do we overcome this fear of man? How do we overcome all of this? Well, let, let me encourage you with something. There's two ways to overcome a problem. You know that, right? One way is to focus on the problem, right? So it's like I have a problem eating cherry pies, okay? Yeah, David and I both have that problem. He just put his hand up. Anybody else have that problem? Okay, so if, if I don't want to eat any more cherry pies because I'm ballooning, okay? It's a bad season for me. So I don't want to eat cherry pies, but my wife leaves a cherry pie out on the table, which would be very unkind, actually. It would be cruel. But she leaves it out there. And so how could I deal with this problem? Well, I could, I could throw it out. I could focus on not eating the cherry pie, right? I could tell myself all day, I am not going to eat the cherry pie. I could think about it all day. It's down in my office. I could think, I'm not thinking about the cherry pie right now up there. 
I am not going to eat the cherry pie up there. How many people think I will probably eat the cherry pie? Yes, that's what's going to happen. Because focusing on the problem actually doesn't solve it usually. It usually just causes us to give into it. So we can either focus on the fear of man and say, I really want to be highly focused on dealing with the fear of man. Or we can actually have the antidote, which is fear of the Lord. Now, there's some good ideas coming out here. Fear of the Lord. The antidote to fearing man is to develop a healthy fear of God. Because you can't fear both. So it's, the, it's a displacement principle. If you don't want to fear man, then you need to press into saying, God, I want a healthy fear of you. Because that, that's going to trump everything then. That's going to, that's going to supersede my fear of man. I, I'm going to have such a heightened awareness of God in my life. That when that test comes with that other person, I'm going to be easily able to go, not a problem. I'm not going to eat the cherry pie. You get what I'm saying? So let's look at this. What is the fear of the Lord? Isaiah 33 says this. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store, speaking of the Messiah, of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. This is powerful. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What's the treasure? Salvation, wisdom, knowledge. If you want to walk in a revelation of God's salvation, his, what he's provided for you, his wisdom in your life, you want to have his knowledge, the Bible's clear that the key to that, I like to see it as like a treasure chest. And inside is salvation, wisdom, knowledge. And when I fear God, I have the key in my hand and I open it up and it becomes mine. That's the picture. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 34, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So there's some fruit there of what it means to fear God. But the key is this. Listen, fearing God is the essence. You start with that. The treasure is yours. The provision is yours. See, God wants us to fear him. Ultimately, he's the ruler of the universe. He is God. And if we fear him, we are ultimately blessed. Do you understand that? When God says, I want you to live this way, I want, I, I, you need to walk in the fear, in, in fearing me and in honoring me and walking in my ways, he's doing that because he's saying, that's the way you will be blessed. That is the way of life. And so he does it for our own good. It's not meant to, to curtail us from things that we would otherwise enjoy it's meant to keep us in a place of blessing now this word fear means to fear respect reverences reverence and it, it also acknowledges God's good intentions that God has good intentions towards us and if you read through the Bible you'll see the places where it talks about God's heart towards his people the ways he wants to bless us fear of God is also as one person put it, a wholesome dread of displeasing him. A wholesome dread of displeasing him. It's interesting to see that David, remember when David sinned, we talked in week one about sinning against Bathsheba. And remember what David said? I mean, honestly, it took him a year to repent. It must have been a really bad year for him. 
uh, really terrible. He obviously wasn't connecting with God very well. Nathan the prophet comes to him, confronts him. What does David say right away? He says, against you and you only have I sinned. What did David recognize right away when he was confronted with his sin? He thought immediately that he had hurt God, that he had offended God. And that's because he feared God. That's because he understood the fear of the Lord. Here's what um, one commentary said. The fear of God is an attitude of respect, a response of reverence and wonder. It is the only appropriate response to our creator and our redeemer. It is an attitude of respect, a response of reverence and wonder. And when we have this, we also understand the serious consequences of not following him. Again, back to my situation recently. You can't, you can't experience that kind of situation with somebody who's fallen so offside and not realize how life is serious, how what we do here is important. Now listen, I'm not, and it's not even, when I talk about fear of the Lord, it's not even talking about those really, really big things. Because of course, we know those really, really big sinful issues. We understand that. But I think where God wants us to go is that we care about the small things, even the little things. They bother us because we realize that bothers my father. That way I just spoke, that thing I just said, that thought I just thought. He is bothered by that. That offends him. And I don't want to offend him. I love him. I love him so much. And I want to honor him. And therefore, I want to fear him. I want to bring glory to him. Proverbs 23 says this. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Wow. Don't envy, don't envy those who sin. You know, one of the challenges, I'll just say it, that, that, I, that I'm wrestling with more and more in my own life is how we can enjoy sin <laughs> as a culture. Seriously, folks. We, we can view sin in movies. We can view sin. We can view people behaving very badly toward God. We can and almost take it in as entertainment. And I, it's really discordant. It, it's grievous in my spirit. And I, I feel like God is trying to do something in us to remove the fluff and the stuff that we allow in that taints our ability to truly know him and fear him. And I, 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 I just believe there's something he's doing. And I believe there's something he's doing in my own heart. And that's good because the Bible is clear that the pure in heart are those who are going to see God. Those who are pure in heart, those who have a holiness that they are allowing God to bring into their lives. There's a greater power, a greater release of his presence. I think sometimes we're the most grumpy, empty Christians because we're not filling up on the right stuff, church. We're not bringing in what God wants. Then we say, well, where's God? What's going on in my life? Well, maybe we should start living the way he wants. God, I want to start living your way. I, I want to start allowing you more into my life. I, I need your word. I need your truth. I don't need all this other stuff that I bring in. It's grievous. It's stirring my spirit. I just sense God saying, I want you to go deeper. I think some of us don't even know what it would be like to really experience the power of God in our lives. 
Think God's saying, that's why I'm hitting you with this. That's why I'm coming at this hard because I want you free. I want you in a place where I can pour my spirit out in a fresh way where you can receive power and joy and grace like you've never known. But it requires us to take a look and consider to be zealous for the fear of the Lord. For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. For surely there is a hereafter. That's the thing for us. We look at the life beyond this life. And that's what keeps us in a place where we say, God, I want to live for you. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. It's a fountain of life. Proverbs 19, fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Wow. So I'm going to finish with this. How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? If it's so important, so vital, how do we grow in it? Well, in a book called The Forgotten Fear by Albert Martin, he lists some key things. I'm going to give them to you right now. Here, here's, they're not up there. Just listen. I just want you to listen and let them sink in. It's not about getting the list down. It's about maybe picking out one or two things and saying, God, you're speaking to me about this right now. This is what you want me to do. Number one, feed your mind on the scriptures in general. Feed your mind on the scripture. The overall effect of every truth of scripture is to feed the fear of God. You know, when, when you and I read, I've been reading through the epistles lately, which are Paul's letters to the churches, and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, just reading through. You can't read through the Bible and listen to what God's saying and not gain a healthy fear in your heart for him and, and reverence his word and reverence what he is saying and what he is doing in your life. Like there is something real and living that affects you. Feed your mind on scripture. Number two, feed your soul with the reality of the forgiveness of God. I really like this. One of the things that we need to do that will help us to avoid sin. Look at Titus 2. You got to hear this. You got to look at this. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God teaches us to say no. What, what does that mean? When you and I have a healthy understanding of God's grace. Of the provision he's made for us to be forgiven of our sins. To be empowered to know his love. When we know that. When that is living in us. It will teach us to say no to sin. We, 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 we won't be tempted to eat the cherry pie because what we have is so good because what we're experiencing is so much better because we understand God's love and grace towards us. We'll actually resist sin. See, again, it's the same principle. I need to know God more. I need to fear God more. Then I can turn away from fearing man and sin. That's the reality. The grace of God teaches us. You know, I want to encourage you with something. If you struggle in areas of your life, you're struggling with some sin issues, you're struggling with temptations, and we all do at times, press into the grace of God. Press into understanding God's grace and love for you and the forgiveness he's provided through his sacrifice. Seriously, like, like we don't understand how powerful his sacrifice is and what he's done for us. Learn to feed on the majestic greatness of God. I don't know about you, but I don't think I stop enough to consider how great.
great God is. You, do, you, do you ever do this? Do you ever go and sit and look at that sunrise or that sunset? Maybe some of you do. I tend to be really, really busy, and so I, I don't. And the other day, I actually stopped. I actually, I actually stopped. I actually sat down in my house. It's going to sound so bizarre. You're like, really? You had to stop to do this? I stopped in my house, sat down, and considered how blessed I was and enjoyed my house and looked around and thought, I am a blessed man. Now, I am a mover and a shaker, and I'm always doing stuff, to be honest. But in that moment, I was reflecting on how great God is in my life and how blessed I am. Sometimes we keep so busy talking to myself. I'm so busy working for God that I'm not spending time with him that I'm not fellowshipping with the Father, and I'm not just enjoying Him, and I'm not just reveling in His greatness and His love for me. Do you know that the Father just wants to pour out His love upon you? He wants to lavish upon you His grace and let you sense that He is with you? Seriously. I, I, I had a moment the other day where He just came as I paused and I just sensed his presence come down and fill me and touch me. And it was like he was saying, I think, you know, I just kind of waiting for you to slow down a little bit so I could kind of come and, and love on you. <laughs> you. You know what I'm saying? Do, do you get what I'm saying? And so that is that majestic greatness of God helps us to fear him, to know him. Seek to cultivate an awareness of God's presence in your life. Here's something I'd encourage you to consider. Consider that God is always with you. He's always with you. Now, this does two things. One, it empowers you and gives you the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're practicing his presence. You're, 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 you know he's near, and you're welcoming him to come near. But it also gives you a sense that he's watching. You know, I remember back when I had my business, um, you know, I, I had an advertising business. So we would do contra. And contra just means I'd give space in my publication and maybe I'd get like a... So I had this, this uh, contest I was running. And the contest was you'd win a limo ride. And uh, it was great, right? And I had people fill it out. And so basically it gave him, promoted the company in my magazine and he gave me the limo ride and then somebody won it. So I went to him and I said you know what, I need some paperwork on this. Like, can you write up a, an invoice or something? Because we still need, I still need to record it. Like, I can't just, you know, I, rightfully, I should have a, an invoice. We should have something to show that, you know, because there's still GST involved technically. You understand what I'm saying? Well, he didn't want to do that. I said, oh, we don't need to do that. Nobody knows. Who cares? Like, just do it. It's fine. I said, I stopped. And I remember I was standing in his office. I said, no, no, no. I said, no. No, I said, somebody else is looking at my books. <laughs> and then, I, then I made it clear who I was talking about. I said, I, I believe in God. I serve God. And he's watching what I do with my business. And I want him to bless my business. And, and I know this seems like a small thing to you, but, but I need you to give me an invoice because I need to do this right. And he's like, okay, well, it won't mean anything to me, but you can use it. I'm like, fine, fair enough. I'll take the invoice. That's an example of even in the small things, and I'm not saying uh, we've all made mistakes, but I'm saying that was a moment where I recognized that God was looking down at me, examining how I did everything, and that it better be right, because it was him I was going to stand before. Have you ever thought about the fact that in eternity, no one will be with you? You ever thought of that? 
Like, like it won't be like Val will be there with me and she'll come up and appeal for me. Listen, he was really a good husband, God. And, you know, I know he's flawed in these areas, but I just want to appeal for him and he's a good guy. Like, she would do that, I'm sure, but she won't be there. It'll just be me and God. And he'll be looking at my life. Bible's clear that he will do this. He will look at my life. And that, that makes me afraid in a good way. And so he is the one watching. I'll finish with one last story on this one. Somebody, I was talking to someone recently, and they were telling me about their job situation. And they had a tough situation in their job. They were demoted and uh, went through a really hard period. And they could have easily given in to others' opinions and functioned in a way that the rest of the world would have functioned in, which would have been to be bitter, angry, slanderous towards those employers. But this person chose not to do that. This person chose to honor God, even when it was really tough, and do things the right way, and keep a good attitude, and even speak properly to others. You know what the result was? This person was brought back uh, to their position, <laughs> kind of like a Bible story actually, brought back to their position and even given more in the end because they obeyed and did it God's way. Isn't that amazing? Easy to give in and do the cheap thing at the moment. Instead, this person chose to honor God, trust him with their future and do it his way and God came through. Isn't that amazing? That's what I'm talking about. Lastly, we need to associate with those who fear God. You want to be someone who fears God? Hang out with people who have a God-fearing mindset. Hang out with people who want to pursue fearing God. I think sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we can be careless that way. We need the, the strongest people around us. And then finally, I, I did say finally, but I do have one last point. Pray. Pray for the fear of the Lord. I think all of us can pray, God, Deepen my fear of you. Lord, show me any area of my life where I'm not fearing you. Show me the little things. You, you know what I think God is saying, I know to me. I believe he's saying, I have more. I have more for you. But if you want to go deeper and you want to see the more, then you're going to have to allow me to go deeper in you. And you're going to have to go deeper in your commitment to me. And you're going to have to let me go into every part of your life. <laughs> Allow my fear to fill you in that sense. And, and rather than fearing man or others, fear me alone. And that's a process. And I just, I just want to finish by saying to all of you here that I, I know this is a different message before Christmas. Hey, listen, hear me on that. But, but I believe it's God's message. I honestly believe it's what God wanted to share. Because I think as we look at 2019, as we look at next year, I think God really is calling to us and saying, I want you to go to another level. Fear of God, the fear of the Lord truly is the key to this treasure. And there's a greater treasure for each of you. And I'm calling you forward. I don't want you to fear man. I don't want you to walk in that old way that you've walked in. I want to set you free so that you can fear me in a way that, that deep reverence and live in a way that honors me. And I will bless you. And I will do things that you've never seen before. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray for you today. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.